All right, if you have your Bibles, grab them. We'll be in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, as we continue our series in the parables of Jesus. Luke chapter 16. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. All right. You know, there have always been these tall tales about um, people who have uh, crossed to the other side and come back to tell us what it's like, you know, uh, on the other side of death. And in modern history, there have been uh, multiple cases of this. And now what happens is they turn into best-selling books. And so uh, people uh, go into a coma or they flatline on a table and they wake up and they, they tell about all these things that they saw. Uh, what heaven is like, what hell is like, or, or what eternity, what is it like the moment you open your eyes? Now, I'll tell you that I, I, I don't really usually believe any of them for, for, for several reasons, but what if you could? What if you could get a glimpse of what it was like on the other side? What if you could see eternity or what it was like the moment you opened your eyes after death? What would you see? What would it be like? What would you find there? Jesus in this parable is actually giving us a glimpse of what it will be like when we get there. What it is like, what eternity is like. And we don't have to go into a coma uh, to see it. So let's read Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and writes the very words of God, and he says this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in, in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. I remember the exact moment where my fragile mind was confronted with the realities of eternity. I was 10 years old in a Sunday school class, and my teacher, trying to explain uh, the length of eternity, uh, said, imagine a bird that goes to the east coast from Maine to Florida, and all the sand on the beaches all the way up the coast, and he, and he goes, and that little bird grabs one little bitty grain, just one little piece of sand, and he flies it all the way over to the west coast in California and all over there and, and drops it off. 
and he flies all the way back and grabs another grain of sand and then flies it all the way to the West Coast. And he repeats that process until every individual piece grain of sand from the entire East Coast it makes it to the West Coast. And then that same bird repeats the process and brings all of the sand and all the sand that was there that he brought and all the sand that was there before back to the East Coast. He said that the, the length of time it would take that bird to do that, you know eternity has just begun. I remember hearing that as a 10-year-old boy thinking, like, man, that's a long time. That is a long time. And for me, that led to a process by which the Lord really began to uh, work on me and eventually led me to bow my knees to Jesus. But for so many, I, I can now stand and be excited about facing eternity, be excited about entering eternity, but for so many, they will one day open their eyes to see the reality of eternity and it will catch them off guard. They will not be ready for what is in store for them. Stephen Hawkins, the, the famous atheist, before he died, said this. He said, I regard the brain as a computer, which will stop working when its components fail. And there is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Because it's no laughing matter to understand and realize that one day Stephen Hawkins, after he died, opened his eyes to a shocking reality that everything he thought to be true was a lie. That everything that he believed about the world and the cosmos and the afterlife was not true. And now he must spend an eternity understanding and realizing the fact that he got it wrong. In our parable this morning, we find two men, two very different men. One man is a nameless man who we just know as the rich man, and the other is Lazarus. And these men could not be more different. Here is Lazarus who uh, is laying outside of his house. He has sores over his body, probably leprosy. He is le most likely lame, unable to walk, probably paralyzed. And so he lays there begging for food, hoping that the scraps of the garbage that is taken out, he will be able to find something edible in there. And then dog, wild dogs come and just lick on all of his sores. And, and he is laying there just miserable. While then you have the rich man who is clothed in purple for royalty. He has the finest clothes, who eats lavishly and sumptuously and, and it has everything he wants. He's got power, he's got influence, he's got everything money could buy. And yet, with all of the differences of these two men, there is one thing that they have in common. Both of them died and both of them entered eternity. Lazarus, the poor, the, the poor begging man, finds himself finally comforted, finally healed, finally made new and rest. And while the rich man finds himself in anguish and hell. You see, no matter what you believe, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much power or influence you have, no matter what, we all have one thing in common. We will all one day face eternity. We will all one day enter eternity. Eternity is real. And here's one thing that we've got to understand. Every person that you've ever met is not a finite being. You are not finite. You are infinite. You, there will never be a moment where you cease to exist. There's never going to be a moment in your life where you stop being. You are eternal. Think about that. You are a created being who is now immortal. You are now eternal creatures who will exist forever. 
Some of us will exist in heaven and some in hell, but we will both exist and live forever. The first thing I think we learned from this parable is a simple truth, but a profound truth, that eternity is real. That eternity is real, that there is no stopping it. There's no way around it. There's no avoiding it. There's no preventing it. It is coming. It is real. You will live forever. And there's nothing we can do about that. Now, once our two characters enter eternity, notice what happens. The rich man finds himself in anguish, being tormented by the flames of hell. And he asks a simple question, simple request. He asks Abraham to take Lazarus and send him, send Lazarus into hell with him so that Lazarus may drip a drop of water onto his tongue and give him relief. Now, Abraham gives him two reasons as to why he can't do it. The first, Abraham tells the rich man to remember that you spent your life in lavish living, obtaining and enjoying the good things. You you spent your life in power and, and, and having everything focused on yourself, living for yourself, not thinking or serving or caring for others or following God or loving God or loving others. Abraham's point to him is simple. The reason you can't leave hell The reason you can't get relief from your anguish is because you deserve all that you're getting. You deserve everything that's happening to you. And this is, I think, a hard point to hear, a hard point to understand, but one that we must be very clear on. There is no one in hell who does not deserve to be there. And that's hard because we love people. We don't want anybody to go there, but there is no one who goes to hell who does not deserve, first and foremost, to be there. Hell is not simply a place where God just sends unbelievers. They weren't smart enough to to, to believe the right thing, so they get to go to this bad place. That's not the case. Hell is a place of justice for those who have been found guilty. The second reason Lazarus cannot come drop this water on his tongue is because Abraham says there's this great chasm fixed between them, and there's no, it's impassable. You can't get through it. You cannot go from one to the other. You see, once you enter into eternity, your destination is set. It is secured. And it is too late to alter course. There is no one last chance to change your mind. There is no uh, uh, way to work yourself out of it. Eternity is final. Not only is it real, it's final. There is no such thing as purgatory. There are no second chances, no do-overs, no final chance to repent. There's no way out. In every generation, there are people who read this book, who read the Bible, and and find things in it that they don't like, find things that they disagree with. And so they seek to twist them and and make it say what they want it to say. And uh, one recent iteration of this is Rob Bell and his book, Love Wins, came out a few years ago, in which he argues that because God is all-loving, hell might exist, but there will be no one in it. Because God is all-loving, he will not, in the end, send anyone to hell. Because as the title suggests, love wins in the end. And while it may be a pleasant notion to think of an empty hell, it is not what we find to be true. Jesus, for instance, spoke more of hell than heaven. Jesus warned of hell. There is no denying the biblical existence, but we must ask the question, how can an all-loving God a benevolent God, ever send someone to such a place? How could a loving God ever send someone to hell? 
But the answer is quite simple. That God, for all of his love, is not merely and only love. But God is holy and just and righteous. And that is a good thing. Like, we're for those things. Think about right now in our country. Our whole country is in an uproar right now with, with the riots and the protests and the, and the conversations and the arguments and the, all this stuff. And we're really trying to ask and answer one simple question. What is justice? Who gets justice? Who delivers justice? And we're for it. We are for justice. You know, our country right now seems to never be able to unite really over anything. We're divided over every possible issue you can imagine. We divide over a sickness. But there's one thing that we seem to have united on, at least in recent history. When we discovered Osama bin Laden hiding in a cave, there was not a question of whether or not we should go get him. There was not a question of whether it was the right or wrong to go get the man who uh, implemented attacking the Twin Towers. When we discovered where he was, there was no question. We went and we got him. And everyone celebrated. Justice has finally been served. And we can unite around that. We, re, we, re, we re unite around the idea of justice, that the right should happen, that wrongs, bad things should be set right. We long for it. Hell is not a place of revenge. It is not a place where God just sends people who didn't make the right belief choice. It is a place of justice. And God, the judge of the world, sits on a throne and judges more rightly than we could ever imagine. So, from this parable, we learn a couple things. One, we learn eternity is real. We also learn that it's final when God judges and makes his choice. Wherever we end up is final, and there is no changing. There is no do-over. There is no going back and fixing it. No repenting. No changing your mind. It's final. I think part of the reason that people do not deal with questions often of faith or questions of eternity is because people believe that they have time later in life to deal with those things. Right now, I just want to live for me. I just want to focus on my family. I just want to enjoy life. I will deal with those questions and think through those things later. I've got plenty of time to be concerned about that. But what we must come to understand is that eternity is not simply something that's in the future. Eternity is not simply something that we will one day enter into after we die, but rather eternity has already begun. It's not coming. We're not going for it. It's already here. It's always been here. I want you to know, and let me show you how this works. I want you to notice the details about this rich man. I think these are important. On earth, what was he like? On earth, the rich man was powerful. He had influence. He had fine clothes. He feasted. And he had everything that he ever wanted and lived for himself. He ordered people around. He did whatever he wanted to do, and he ignored the poor. That's the indictment on him. He ignored and did not serve anyone else. He only lived for himself and not follow the Lord. And what do we find the rich man doing when he is in hell? Do we find him repenting? Do we find him softened? Do we find him changed? No. The first thing that he does is he asks for Lazarus, this servant, this poor man, to leave heaven and come into hell so that he can be comforted. How arrogant is that? 
that he would ask someone to leave heaven to come into the anguish of hell so that he would even get just a drop of water on his tongue. He is still ordering around people. He still thinks he is powerful. He still thinks he's someone to be reckoned with. And Abraham doesn't allow it. He won't let that happen. There's a chasm. You can't, he can't go there. And so what does he do? But then it gives another order, another demand, another request to go to his brothers and warn them. Send Lazarus. Send Lazarus to go warn them. But notice this. Notice what the rich man doesn't ask. He never asks to be, get out of hell because he knows it's final. He doesn't ask to leave. He only asks for a temporary reprieve, a temporary moment of water. Eternity and the reality of hell did not change him. Being in anguish in hell does not soften the heart of the rich man. The problems that he had on earth are the same problems he has in hell. In hell, we will not find people's hearts to grow softer. You will not find them to grow repentant. You will not find him sorry for the things that they did. You will not find him changing for the good. You will find instead that the evil and the idols in his heart and in his life will only grow bigger in hell. It will only grow harder. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, but what you ask of earth, earth, I think, will not be found by anyone in the end a very distinct place. I think earth, if chosen instead of heaven, will turn out to have been all along only a region in hell. And earth, if put second to heaven, to have been from the beginning a part of heaven itself. Eternity doesn't begin after you die. It's already begun. You see, the choices you make right now, the life that you lead right now, is either leading to such delight in your life that when you get to heaven, you'll look back and go, oh, earth was just the beginnings of what heaven would have been. And if you lead such a life and make such choices, now you will begin to even taste the beginnings of hell so that when you get to hell and you look back to earth, you will say, oh, that was only the beginning of what was to come. The rich man doesn't change the error of his ways. He doubles down on them and he gets worse. You see, eternity is not coming for you. It's already here. You will not enter eternity and be changed into something contrary to what you are now. It's not like you're gonna go to eternity and then all of a sudden just be something completely contrary to what you already are. Eternity will only make you more of what you already are. The direction you are heading in life will only further be implemented in the same direction in eternity. Lewis says it another way that I find most helpful. He says, listen, every one of us are on two paths. Either... You are becoming something so beautiful and radiant that if you could see that future self, you would be tempted to bow down and worship it as a God. Or you are becoming something so terrifying, so uh, scary, that if you were to see your future self, you would run in fear. And every one of us are on one of these two paths, becoming one of these two things, you are either becoming more divine or more hellish. You are either becoming more fit for heaven to be made like it, or you are becoming more fit and more like hell. And you will find once you get there that earth was only the beginning of it. 
Do not believe the lie that says, oh, you've got plenty of time. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You can think about those things later because it's not true. Eternity is already here. You are already being made into the likeness of one of them. Already begun. Eternity is real. Eternity is final. Eternity has already begun. And our parable ends with the rich man making a final request. He doesn't get the drop of water on his tongue, and so he wants Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers to warn them of the anguish of hell. And Abraham says something interesting to him. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He says, they've got the Bible. They've got the Old Testament. Right? Let, let them hear Moses and the prophets. Let them hear the word of God. They've got that. Let them hear that and believe and repent. But the rich man doesn't think that's enough. Because think about this, the rich man and his family were Jews. They believed the right things. They checked the right doctrinal statements. They had all the right beliefs. And so he thinks they need something more. And, they, and the rich man thinks, oh, if my brothers see a guy come back from the dead, they will believe him and change their ways. They will repent. And Abraham says, if they don't, if they don't listen to the Bible, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And isn't that telling? Isn't it telling that Jesus is speaking to people who, as Jesus is speaking the very words of God, because he is God, and they will not believe him? He's telling them, you don't believe me now, and when I come back from the dead, you're not gonna believe me then either. You won't believe the words of God now. If you won't believe the scriptures, how you won't, you, your hearts are so hard you won't believe then. Sometimes we say to God, God, if you're there, show yourself to me. God, if you're really, truly there, give me a sign in the sky, speak to me. Give me some kind of sign out there that I could know you're real. God has. He has given a sign. He's given miracle of miracles, not just spoken audibly, not just written down words, but he has come himself. Jesus, God, came and entered history. And not only did miracles that were astounding, but when he was killed, came back to life to show that he was God, very God, and yet still many don't believe. And I think that people's lack of faith, people's lack of belief in Jesus, in the gospel, in God. It's not because of a lack of evidence. The evidence is overwhelming. It is not because of a lack of reason. Because reason would dictate that you believe. The reason they do not believe is not because of a lack of evidence or a lack of reason, but because of an unwillingness to let go of the things that they love more than God. They do not want to let go of the things that they love Lewis said it this way, if we insist on keeping hell or even earth, we shall not see heaven. We accept heaven, we shall not be able to retain even the smallest and most intimate souvenirs of hell. The problem of making it to heaven is not a lack of signs from God, but an unwillingness to let go of the things of hell. The rich man wasn't willing to let, let go of his wealth, of his power. Uh, he wasn't willing to, let, to humble himself, to give of himself, to serve others. He wasn't willing to love others as himself, to love God. He, he was all about him. 
He would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. And so, how are we then to let go of the things of hell so that we might obtain heaven? How are we to get the hellishness out of our hearts so that we might obtain heaven? Do you remember the Apostles' Creed? The Apostles' Creed that was written thousands of years ago says this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended into hell and on the third day rose again. He descended into hell. Now, there is some debate over whether or not we believe Jesus literally went to hell, but here is where there is no debate. Here is where we can be certain that when Jesus was on the cross, he was not merely beaten. When Jesus was on the cross, he was not merely humiliated. When Jesus was on the cross, he was not merely asphyxiating in his lungs, filling up with blood. When Jesus was on the cross, he did not merely die. When Jesus was on the cross, he bore the full, the full weight of hell. Jesus entered and experienced and took the full weight of hell on the cross for us. Jesus took the anguish of hell so that me and you could know the pleasures of heaven. He took hell himself. See, the reason that God is all loving, but it doesn't mean that he lacks justice. The way God can be all loving doesn't mean he can't be just. The reason he is all loving is because he spares us the justice that we rightly deserve, the justice of hell that you and I rightly deserve, he spares us that by taking on hell himself. And only an all-loving God would pay such an infinite price of taking an infinite hell so that we could be spared it. And that is the final point. And not only is eternity real, and not only is it final, and not only is it already here, but eternity is a choice that you must make that's available to you right now. In verse 30, the rich man wants to get the news to his brothers. And he says he wants Lazarus to go so they'll see someone raised from the dead, so that they will, keyword, repent. A rich man was a Jew. He believed the right things. He had the right doctrinal statements. He, on his Facebook page, said believer, Jewish. He knew the things. He knew the law. But it is not about believing the right truths. That's the starting place. But there's got to be more than that. It's not just about believing the right truths, but about giving your whole life to God, that God may remove even the smallest trinkets of hell that are in us that we grasp and cling to so that not only will we begin to taste heaven now, but so that forever and ever we may plunge deeper and deeper into the joys and reality of heaven. We must give our lives wholly to God so that he begins to purify and remove hell from us so that he would put heaven in us. You see, there are only two kinds of people in the end. At the end of the day, there's only two kinds of people. People who say to God, God, your will be done. I'm yours. Your will be done. Whatever you want. Or people to whom God will say, your will be done. Whatever you want. 
Lewis says it this way, all that are in hell. Everyone who is in hell chooses it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find and those who knock it will be opened. You see, eternity is real, it's final, it's here, and it is a choice. It is up to you where you will spend it. It's not a choice that you make at some point in the future of your life. It is a choice you make every day, and it is a choice you make right now. You don't need a sneak peek of eternity. You don't need to read some book about some boy who went to heaven so that you could figure out whether it's real or not. You don't need a sign in the sky. You have the scriptures. You have the word of God. You have Jesus raised from the dead. You, and if you do not believe those things, there is no, nothing else that will convince you. But if you seek the Lord, you will find him. And if you knock, it will be open to you. Eternity is real, it's final, it's begun, and the choice is yours. Pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and we ask that you would make the reality of eternity clear to us. And if there's anyone in this room who has put that decision off, who has waited and thought, oh, I've got time to work on those things later. Would you show them right now, Father, that eternity has already begun, that they are already being molded into the image of heaven or the image of hell. And God, would you, would you soften their hearts to show them that, that you have taken hell for them so that they don't have to? Would you, would, you, would you work in their hearts to give themselves to you, to choose you, so that you could remove every little piece of hell that's in their heart so that they can taste the joys of heaven even now. God, help us to be a church who shows the world what you are like, who shows the world that you are good, who shows the world that you, take it, you have taken hell, that you are an all-loving God because you took the justice on yourself so we wouldn't have to take it. God, would you, would you work revival in our city? You work revival in our towns and our neighborhoods. People would flock to you. Not for fear of hell, for the joys of knowing you and the joys of heaven. God, help us to be a part of something like that. We love you in Christ. And we pray all those people said, amen.